Welcome. I am Aaron Giesbrecht, head QB trainer and owner of Big Air Academy, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And you are tuned in to my podcast called Talking QBs with Coach Gies, a podcast dedicated to the Canadian quarterback and offensive football. And today, on my 38th episode, I have a special Super Bowl edition with the dynamic duo of Coach Eric Ewan and Jason Hucklack. How's it going, gentlemen? Good. How are you? Glad to be back. Can't wait. Yeah. You guys are both returning guests, so that's uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. So, guys, uh, today, just kind of wanted to get in and talk about the Super Bowl and the matchup and all that good stuff. Obviously, talk about some other things your guys' season, coaching JV at Vincent Massey. Was a little bit of a struggle at the JV level this year. Um, just to start off, guys, how did you find the adjustment for the players? I, I guess for how how you coach the players this year. I, I know that I personally felt like the kids, because of the COVID year off, were really kind of far behind mentally in the game. I'm just wondering, did you guys feel the same way? Did you have the same struggles? It was a challenge moving forward with the playbook. But even, you know what, it started with like the fundamentals that year off just killed everything like you had we had to go back to the most basic basic building blocks and you know what for the longest time of the season it felt like we couldn't get past day two of practice i would say the same things of what jay had said but again like not having like a spring camp to kind of like dip your toe into for some of the kids to just kind of learn the playbook Mm -hmm. it was kind of like seasons here you got like two weeks okay prep go play and it was just like fast paced. It was like, instead of being like a, a marathon, not a sprint, it was literally a sprint right. right off the hop. And so Jay had mentioned, like, we had to go back to fundamentals. And then once you started fundamentals, you couldn't really get past the second page of the playbook. It was kind of like your base, your base core concepts trying to implement every week. I found the same thing early on. And I tried to, uh, I wanted to do some, some neat things with the sugar huddle. And I remember I was trying to run a couple of different plays out of that. And, and I would like, you know, try and run our base stuff, you know, for a couple of days and then sprinkle that in. And just anytime I tried to do anything kind of outside of the box, we were taking major steps backwards and, and just the learning curve was huge for the guys. And like you said, we just didn't have a lot of time. We were fortunate at Oak Park that we actually had a little bit of a spring season and we put in some stuff and were able to get some reps. But even then, just the whole year off and, and I think maybe the uh, not knowing for the kids and for the coaches that we were actually going to play because we never knew until right towards the end, right? And then and then it, the season's upon us. And, and like you said, we, it was just like a total sprint. So uh, yeah, I, I had the same issues. How about, how about your season overall? How did you find the season went? What were some bright spots of your season? What did you struggle with? For the most part, it was you got to see a lot of players who played a lot of flag, and then you got to see them kind of develop as the year went on. Mm-hmm. Like it was definitely an up and down season, just in terms of the learning process we had just mentioned. But it was kind of good to see some players come out of it and and improve all year. And that and that's kind of your 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 thought in JV football is you know you get to see these kids who haven't played for the majority of the time, like haven't played because of COVID, but also hadn't played tackle in a while. So Mm -hmm. you got to see them kind of develop throughout the year and give a good foundation for that program heading forward. That was kind of the bright spot was getting getting to see some players kind of develop. Definitely a bright spot was we had a lot of new guys to tackle football. So it was nice to see some guys, the light bulb go on towards the end of the year about, about how to do this. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Nice seeing some new people fall in love with football. I know we had at least three grade nines that had never played tackle football before that really developed, loved loved being at practice and actually falling in love with with football. And it's continued into the off season. I know a few of these guys have really jumped right into the football program. Mm-hmm. at Massey. I'm excited to see the results next next spring. And again, I, I feel the same way. Like towards the end of the year, you really saw some of the kids that maybe, you know, were more role player types really fall in love with playing football and really kind of getting into it and realizing like what playing football for your high school is about. Both our programs, you know, have a lot of history and that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Our, our guys are working hard in the gym right now and, and getting ready for the uh, for the spring and pretty exciting as well. How about like systematically? Obviously, I, I know you guys had your struggles. You you had struggles up front with your O line. 
What did you do differently this year than than maybe years in the past to try and move the ball? Definitely, we made read option a big part of our of our first install. We kind of hung our hat with you know with the with the back going to the week A or week B and really reading the front side end. It also try to sneak a wing back into the flat to kind of read the Sam and pull him out of the box. We really hung our hat on that. It was tough to get past getting more plays or more formations in. So halfway through the year, we kind of realized like we we need to just get good at this because mm-hmm. moving if we if we can't do this properly, there's no point in keep moving on in the playbook. <laughs> that that was kind of the difficult thing. Like you know me, I I kind of like when one idea pops up, I want to do like thirty other ideas, right? Yeah. So. To be simplified was was it hurt a bit, but we knew we had to do that because we couldn't really like get to step step two of the play, right? right? So we had to keep it very simple and and really hang our hat on getting the ball to our athletes in the simplest form, right? So so that kind of meant not dumbing down the playbook, but saying, okay, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna hang our hat on this. If we ever tried to expand, mm-hmm. like we've done in 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 the practice last year, it was. The kids would just be like, you know, really confused on what we were kind of doing. So you had to keep it kind of simplified. You kind of had to provide the details of why we were doing it to them in a specific way. And then if you ever like if we ever did try to do something new, you had to really like say, okay, well, this is because of this. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of difficult to explain sometimes to the kids why It, it would seem simple to us if we talked about it. But it was just a whole new world if you had to explain it to a kid, right? So, And again, I can attest to the same thing. I think, though, there's a valuable lesson, especially for myself and maybe you, Eric, that do like to kind of grow and expand and do a lot. Jay, you're a lot more uh, simplistic in terms of, like, just being happy with the basics, right, and just getting really good at it. And and I, I, I think that that's a very smart thing that you do it that way. I, I always am kind of like scatterbrained. And I'm like, hey, what's next? I want to do this. And wanna, you know, you see something on TV one weekend, with college team, and you're like, hey, how do I add this in, right? But I do think there was a good learning lesson there, especially for myself, that I know moving forward, I want to kind of limit what concepts I run and really kind of limit the formations and make sure our guys absolutely know 100% what their assignments are and then get out there and execute. And then if anything that I can maybe push forward is maybe pick up the tempo in doing so, right? And not really kind of go crazy with trying to run a ton of new plays, but just pick up the tempo and go a little faster. I think that would make me happy. Just transitioning a little bit, you guys talk about obviously running read option as a core play for you, uh, a little bit of a kind of pseudo RPO leak in the back in the flat with that. Um, You had a tremendous athlete playing quarterback, not really a quarterback, in my opinion, at the next level. Um, but a tremendous athlete in Chris Petrowski. What did you guys think of working with him? What what kind of kid is he? And, and what do you think about him like going up to the varsity team next year and what he can do maybe as a defensive back or receiver? Oh, well, first off, Chris is a, a tremendous leader. The guys look up to him and like he is almost such a good leader. People, our team expected him to do everything for, for us. Mm-hmm. Like he also with our starting safety, starting quarterback I'm not gonna lie if he didn't bring the water to practice the water wasn't getting to practice (laughs) it was like he is that he was that type of guy a total competitor like he took a beating behind the o-line this year and he never gets discouraged body language all like even when things are going bad is tremendous those shoulders are back the head is up like he is a pleasure to coach I really wish we could have, if you, we could have got him into some different spots mm-hmm. because a, just a tremendous athlete. Um, as a varsity football player, he's going to be one heck of a safety, and I'm excited to see him play some receiver. Again, like I would say when Jay says he, he, he brings the water, it's pretty much like LV Miles talking about like booby to the scouts there. Like he's going to do everything possible. This guy's the great, one of the greatest athletes I've got to coach, and you wish you could clone, you know, clone 24 of them to play mm-hmm. all 24 positions on offense and defense. The guy just carries himself differently. You know, he's just a, a different type of player. He's so bright and intelligent. Like he, he would be like, well, what, we would ask him, why would you throw? Well, I just, you know, saw protection. You know, it was difficult, had to make a decision. You know, I'm not going to be able to make that play. 
just he understood the game. You could you could talk to him about certain things, and you'd be like, "How my brain thinks." He's like, "Coach, we just can't do that. Like, mm-hmm. it just we just can't do that with what we have right now." So, and then at the varsity level, like he's gonna be he's a dynamic athlete. I can't wait to see where they put him on like at safety, whether that's linebacker or whatever, and then receiver. He's gonna be a dynamic athlete, like just a guy you got to get the ball in your hands, like a, just a physical physical athlete that can make some plays that's outstanding yeah sounds like a great kid i know i got to watch him uh, obviously your games a couple times this year when you guys played oak park but also i watched him in the summertime playing the pro prep flag league for the uh, manitoba selects team and he was playing uh, obviously safety and receiver in those games and he was very very dynamic so he's going to be a, a bright spot for massey moving forward what about the the varsity team winning the three A championship, beating uh, Grant Park in the championship? Uh, I they were sort of the underdog going in. What does that do for your program? How how was that at the JV level to be part of that and then see your varsity team win? So you know what? It's always nice to know that like your your varsity program is going to be a really good program, right? So that your JV players when they're in the building on the practice field, they know that there is a winning pedigree to be a part of. And so when they get into, when they step their first steps into the practice field, the locker room, the school, they have an idea in a year's time, two years time that, or three years time for some of them is that they have a chance to, to be in the finals competing for a championship, bring that pedigree there. The players feel like they want to be winners, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they step on the field. So um, it, it's great for them to be, you know, a three to, uh, three-time champion, I believe. Really, it just brings excitement for any young player, a JV player, to step onto the field. Super happy for that group of kids. There isn't a, like, more, I haven't seen a more deserving group of kids to win a varsity championship. I don't think I've ever coached a group of kids that deserved it more than they did. In, in JV, they were, they were a dream to come to practice to every week. We didn't have, we did not have a lot of the stupid problems. My favorite story is in practice, we're, we're working on posting up a defender and ripping by, and I can see people in the line or start chatting in with each other. And I'm about to just rip into them. And then I let it go a little longer. And I see that one is demonstrating the skill that we're actually practicing. And I was like, I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, we, we mean business at practice. And that was the year too we had all the early snow and rain when all the fields were yeah. flooded and covered in snow and like we practiced in like six inches of water for like a month like i i know i wore rubber boots to practice that month <laughs> i remember too we played in a few ugly field games and then we got on the last game of the year we get on the field turf and you know we put up 63 points and everybody's looking around like Oh wow! Like we actually, when we get out of the mud, we can actually do some stuff. <laughs> yeah, I remember you talking so fondly about quarterback Luke Thalman. He got hurt, I believe, in your season, right? And then Everett Reed, who's a phenom, um, replaced him at quarterback. And and it was too bad you guys didn't have those two together because that would have been electric for your season. But um, absolutely tragic that we didn't get to go the full year with those two yeah like those those two shared a brain um like it was you definitely could have got lived on those guys throwing the ball to each other on offense and i like i say i think it could have changed the way our season went you know season ends we're into the off season i've just spent my first year back in, in my alma mater at oak park running the offense at the varsity level and i was on the recruiting the recruiting tip, and I was trying to get anybody that uh, is close to me to come along. You know, try to recruit you both to come. Eric is coming back. Jay, we pass each other on Wilkes daily. <laughs> I'm coming from Fort Rouge to Charleswood. You're going from Charleswood to Vincent Massey. It's like kind of stupid. We should just flip who does what. But uh, we we could basically high five on the highway on our way back. But uh, Eric, what what led into you coming back to Oak Park and coming to join forces with me? former alumni kind of meant a little bit more um you know that was one of them uh getting an opportunity to work with you again was another one and and just the the younger staff that's in place with chris olson there just makes it a little bit more a culture change than what it's been in the past and another chance to coach varsity i think that was kind of a a big thing for me was you know i i've been at jv for a long time had a i dipped my toe in it for varsity and it just 
I would say the experience was a little bit different than what I thought it was okay. the first time around. But I think years later, I, I think I've, after winning the championship in, you know, 2018 there, you know, I wanted to pursue a different opportunity that led us together to work with the rifles. And then, right. you know, this time around, it was kind of, you know, I wanted to give varsity a shot and give it an opportunity again and to work with different type of, of, high school athletes for the first time in a while so that was kind of a big thing for me yeah and i'm happy to have you back and, and i agree it was great to work with you at the rifles and you know it wasn't the greatest scenario for us and, and and whatnot but uh you know we're back together now and i feel like at oak park we've laid the foundation this past year and, and like you said chris olsen has really developed a great staff a lot of young guys a lot of enthusiasm it's kind of weird you know i'm sure you guys probably feel the same way as most of your coaching career you've been the young guy and and yep. now we're like Jay. I know you can attest to this. Like we're the old guy now, right? Like I'm the mo- one of the most veteran coaches on our staff. It's kind of a, it's kind of a weird thing, but very cool at the same time. So um, I'm excited to that, and and you know I'm glad to have you back again. And and like you said, coming back home is going to be pretty cool. And we're working together on our offense right now, trying to build things and simplify. And you know I really enjoy all that work. Jay, you uh, decided not to to come along. You you could rode your bike to practice, but instead you want to just you know, waste gas money, but, uh, <laughs> but what, uh, what led to you staying at Massey? Oh, definitely the people. Uh, my, I love my offensive staff. I, it's tragic losing, losing, losing my buddy, but I wish them all the best. Um, I, I say I would absolutely love the, the people I work with. I practice every day. I'm loyal to Chris right now for sure. Yeah. He hired me. So I feel indebted to him right now and we'll see what the future holds. Back at it for second quarter action, the coach geese, coach Eric Ewan and coach Jason Hucklack. So gentlemen, uh, big signing this week for the Toronto Argonauts, Mr. Andrew Harris. What do you guys think of that transaction? Does does Harris still have tread on the tires? Did the Bombers maybe make a mistake by not bringing him back to try and three-peat and going with youth over him? I think they had to go youth. I think you you drafted Brady for a reason. You, signed, you re-signed Johnny Augustine, who I think are two quality Canadian running backs. It's all about business, right? So you're, at a, you're getting both those guys at a lower price point than what you would have been paying Andrew, right? So I, I really don't know Andrew's details in terms of his contract, but... I do, you know, and I do think he has some tread left, but I think for Winnipeg to to be successful, they had to spread the money around. Obviously, you had to re-sign your, your defensive players. You had to sign your quarterback, obviously. So you really don't have a lot of money to go around. And I think it was a a wise decision for Winnipeg to, 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 uh, to not sign him, right? I, I think just his age, 34, you know, when we get up there in age, we're always going to have a little bit of a downcline a bit. And, you know, with with Andrew, he was hurt last year. So you got to see a little bit more of, of Brady, you know, carry the rock. So maybe, I think Winnipeg did a wise wise choice in, in not bringing him back unless just for business purposes, just for the salary cap and everything. I agree with everything Eric says. Now, I do think, though, that um, Harris may have another year or two left in him, mm-hmm. you know, miss like Eric mentioned, he was hurt last year, so he did not take, you know, he didn't get a lot of snaps last year. I would assume that might turn into a decent year next year, but you are tempted fate with a 34, 35-year-old running back. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's going to have a huge chip on his shoulder. Uh, You know, I wish him the best. I do, I do kind of agree with you. I think maybe this upcoming year, he'll probably still be one of the top backs, but, but he's obviously getting up there. You know, it, it is what it is. It's the nature of the game. It's the business of the game. Also, with Augustine and, and Brady, it's not like those guys are rookies anymore either, right? They're now veterans of the league. They're not, you know, just fresh out of college. Like, they got a lot of snaps this year, so they had to go with the youth. And it's that age-old saying, like, do you want to hold on to the guy for one year too long, or do you want to let him go one year early and benefit for, with with your youth? So. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Again, I wish them the best. I, you know, I hope for the bomber's sake that uh, that Brady and Augustine are able to kind of, you know, really pick up where he left off in terms of of what he brought for our offense because he's a huge leader, right? Like that's the other part too is they're going to lose that leadership. You can tell when he's on the field, when he's playing, like they respond to him. So that's going to be a big loss. But 
hopefully those young guys can can bring it back. And and you're Eric, you're right about needing to sign the defensive players and Caleros were super important for for the Bombers to have a chance at three beating. So we'll see how that plays out. Okay, the other one that I'm kind of interested in your opinion is Darvin Adams. He goes to Ottawa to go back and play for uh, La Police. And then Bombers, we get Greg Ellingson. Um, who do you think is kind of the better transaction? Who do you think is going to kind of fare better this upcoming season? I'm super excited to get to actually go see Ellington week in, week out. Um, yeah. And he is a total quality receiver. I think it was a good, I don't, I think it's a good transaction for the Bombers. Um, Kalaros and Darvin Adams just never seem to be able to get on the same page. Just really could never connect a lot. So, you know, that was, I know that was tying up again, a lot of money in Darvin. So when you're making big bucks in the CFL and not performing, it, you're going to get, you're going to be gone. You're going to be on another team. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like I say, I, it was definitely time to shake that up. I like the decision. Like I, I've always had a soft spot for Darvin going back to when he used to order from the restaurant. But <laughs> um, um, yeah, I, I think it's a great transaction for Winnipeg to get Greg Ellingson. Um, obviously a guy that's, had production similar to Darwin, but I think you saw last year, as Jay mentioned, Carlaros and Darwin didn't really hook up a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's why you saw, you know, Kenny Lawler have the season he did. And again, price is a big thing. And, and really he became more like the number three receiver in that group with Rashad Bailey. And then you, you put Nick Dempsey in that mix. So, mm-hmm. so really, I think you, you get Greg in there for the year and I think he becomes their number one receiver. And I'm excited to, to watch him play. You know, he's had terrific seasons and, Edmonton and Hamilton where he started so yeah I, I, I I'm excited to see that um, I think you know Darvin will probably excel in Lapo's offense a number two or number three guy in that offense he knows it so yeah uh, yeah but really excited to see Greg Ellingson play for the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers and don't you guys think like in terms of Greg Ellingson's skill set that he is kind of like the perfect prototypical CFL receiver, right? Like he does all the little things. He runs the drag routes, the option routes. He can take the top off, but he's also like a, a possession guy at the same time. Like he's kind of everything that you want in a receiver. So I'm pretty excited too. I think he's going to be going to have a huge impact on our offense. Switching gears, going to kind of NFL stuff. Jay, you're a huge San Francisco 49ers fan. You guys had a pretty good season, uh, come up short in the playoffs a little bit. What were your thoughts on the season? What do you think is going to happen with Jimmy G? Is Trey Lance the future from what you've seen so far? Oh, on the season, like what a run in the playoffs. Uh, it was heart-stopping. Uh, who goes six-quarters scoreless in the playoff <laughs> and, win, and wins two of those games? Right. Um, our defense stood on its head in a couple of those. Sad to see us lose in the NFC Championship, especially to the Rams being in division. But mm-hmm. they were definitely due to get us once. Mm-hmm. Um, I with Jimmy G, I think we've gone as far as we can go with him. When you can only run in-breaking routes, the defenses are gonna pick up on that in a hurry. Right. <laughs> we have a, a lot of nice, skilled position players that we need to get the ball to more. That we're not, like we have a lot of guys we're underutilizing. I just feel like we've gone as far as we can. We've got the most out of Jimmy that we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited to see what Trey Lance can do, but you know it's yet to be seen if if that will even be an upgrade. But right, you know the capital we've spent to get him, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to see. Eric, you're a huge Vikings fan. What did you think about your season? What do you think about Kirk Cousins? And what do you think the team needs to do this offseason, maybe free agency draft-wise to improve? Oh, for the season, it was like every week was a nail-biter. We're either up in the last minute and then lose the game on the last play. We we led in every almost every game, but then lose in the last like minute or something like that. It was tough to watch. It was exciting, but very difficult to watch. You know, the following Monday, you know, the following Monday or the Tuesday after a Monday nighter, it was just, it was just, abysmal to be a Vikings fan just to see that but uh, uh with Kirk it's tough because the Vikings are 15 million dollars over the cap he also has 45 million dollar guaranteed contract heading into the next season wow so you're wow. gonna have to you're gonna have to make a decision here you could trade him then you're only on the hook for 10 million you get rid of 35 but I don't know who's gonna get him like I'm in that camp who who thinks that maybe Kirk has to sign an extension just to 
to kick the money down the can. I, I think he's a good quarterback with, with the right pieces in front of him. Mm-hmm. And it, time will tell with the new head coach, presumably, you know, it's Kevin O'Connell after the Super Bowl, he'll be announced. So he has a relationship with Kirk. Um, but time will tell with that. I'm kind of, I, you can see where I'm a split decision, but I think, I, I think you ride with Kirk again. Um, if you can kind of clear up the cap space, um, because I look at the quarterbacks heading into this draft process. I'm a big draft guy, as you know. I don't know if there is like a top 10 quarterback. Obviously, some quarterbacks get overdrafted. But like Minnesota sitting at 12, it depends on if the right guy is there. And so before they can even think about like draft or free agency, they'll have to find a way to clear up some cap space. And so if you can extend Kirk or find a trade partner, because when you look at the trade route, there are going to be so many quarterbacks that are up for trade. It's mm-hmm. see where that's going to go. All those spots, like you had mentioned, Jimmy G's one, Aaron Rodgers is another. So you don't know where you're going to put Kirk in that mix. So I'm on the camp of just right now extending Kirk and then going with it and trying to improve the offensive line and, and trying to fix our defense, I think, through the draft than anything. And we often see like huge turnarounds from year to year, right? Like you talked about the, the, kind of the devastating losses late in games. But sometimes, you know, a year later, you're the team that wins those games, right? And then your record is dramatically better, right? And so, you know, you're not that far off, but you got to you gotta figure out the cap and, and the money situation. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. I, I also like Kirk Cousins. I think he's a good quarterback. He's sort of a role player type quarterback in the right offense, but I think he does the right things. He's mobile enough. I think he gets kind of crapped on a lot about not being great, but I, I don't think he's necessarily a bad QB. I don't think he's like the elite, but he's somewhere in the middle. And, and you're right. If you put the right pieces around him, I think he can be pretty good for you. So we'll see how that all plays out. Now, the other thing, guys, is like it's been the changing of the guard over the last couple of years, right? We're getting rid of all the old quarterbacks. My my guy, Big Ben, he's out. He's retired now, and I'm sad to see that. But, uh, you know, it's time, right? And and we're seeing so many young quarterbacks flourish in the NFL. You know, there's a lot of guys, you know, that, that really played well in, in glimpses this year and, and kind of put together good seasons. Outside of your own teams, who are maybe some quarterbacks that you really like that are younger that you feel like will be upper echelon quarterbacks for, you know, the next five to ten years? I'll get on the Joe Burrow bandwagon like the rest of the world for uh, the way uh, his second year is gone. Sky's the limit. Yeah. Um, I really love Josh Allen, his competitiveness, his mm-hmm. just will to get it done. Yeah. Um, obviously, Patrick Mahomes is going to be at the top of the league for a lot of years. Who else are we putting up there? How Young like, guys, eh? How about like Herbert? Yeah, you know what? He's going to be a guy around for a long time. I, I'm not 100% sold on him yet, but his next two years are going to be exciting to watch and especially the skilled players around him you know i would add herbert obviously we just discussed that it's tough to see that but maybe you know when you think about a mac jones who had a decent season Mm -hmm. um he's a younger guy that needs you know a little bit more development i'd like to see justin fields kind of take off yeah but i guess we're in that mix where we have our younger guys stepping in there and like they're not your peyton mannings tom brady's your ben roethlisberger's you know your aaron Rodgers are at the ages where you know they're near retirement kind of thing it's kind of a young quarterback league now and and we had mentioned like mahomes josh allen i really like like there's there are a lot of rookies playing right now so you know we've had our last two draft classes i think 10 quarterbacks drafted in the first round for those two for the last two classes so we have a lot of young talent hopefully with jay's oc there mike mcdaniels maybe you know helps Tua along the way and we get to see Tua Tagovailoa kind of you know excel but yeah i think the, i think we have those big you know the big four quarterbacks there and then all the young younger guys in that mix i like that you touched on justin fields i also think that jalen hurts has got something um i know that he's inconsistent at times but he's got some he's got some ability and i think if they can kind of collect some more pieces he's somebody that maybe improves there's also obviously the guys that are a little bit older like the dak prescott's you know, that I think, again, he's another guy that I think he gets crapped on a lot, and I don't think he's necessarily that bad of a QB. I think, they're, you know, he's he's doing all the right things. He's a leader. Playing in the NFL is no easy job, right? Like, I think people, like, hold these guys to, like, the highest of standards, which is fair with the money that they make, but also for a guy that's, you know, 25, 26 years old, 
and, and, you know, maybe loses a game here or there, throws a bad pick. Like, it feels like the world's crumbling down sometimes on these guys, and I think it's unfair, especially from being a former quarterback and just kind of knowing the pressure that goes into that, right? So, but just to touch the last piece, I think the guy that I'm most excited for is, is Josh Allen. He reminds me kind of almost as a super Ben Roethlisberger from back in the day, right, when Ben was first in the league. Like, he's trucking people when he runs, and he's got that huge arm, and he, you know, he in the playoffs, he really showed something in terms of just moving that offense and, and obviously that game with uh, Kansas City back and forth, like felt so bad for him not to get a chance at the end, but that's the way she goes. Honestly, the guy that I'm not overly impressed with, like, I shouldn't say I'm not impressed with, but I don't like out of all those guys is actually Mahomes. He drives me nuts because his mechanics are fucking horrible. Like, and he just <laughs> runs around like a chicken with his head cut off all of the time and he's gotten away with it. And I feel like now defenses, like they're not fooled by it anymore. And, and he's got tremendous weapons. Like Tyreek Hill is ridiculous. That guy, I like when Tony Romo makes the comment about it's like him playing tag on the playground. Like nobody can catch him. Like it, But he he runs great routes. He's an explosive player. Uh, Travis Kelsey is huge. I really liked how they used McKinnon in the backfield. But I think if Mahomes doesn't clean up his mechanics and get rid of the ball on the last step of his drop, I don't know if he's going to be that Super Bowl quarterback, you know, for the next 10 or 12 years, like we thought maybe a year or two ago. I think defenses are catching up to him and realizing that if they can make him move a lot more than what he wants to, that he's going to throw them the ball and he's going to be inconsistent at times. I feel like he is turning his back to the defense and trying to retreat out of the pocket too much as opposed to avoiding the rush, stepping up and hitting, making the big play that you see all the NFL quarterbacks making. Back at it for third quarter action with coaches Jason Hucklack and Eric Ewan. So, gents, tomorrow's the big day, Super Bowl 56 in Los Angeles. We have the Cincinnati Bengals playing the L.A. Rams. So the L.A. Rams are at home in the Super Bowl. That's two years in a row that uh, Super Bowl location is hosting their own team. Were you guys surprised by this matchup that these two teams had got this far and, and are playing in the Super Bowl? I would say I was surprised with the Bengals. Any other team, I felt like, you know, the Rams, they loaded up by trading all their draft choices, essentially, to get Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey, Matthew Stafford. No, I was more surprised with the Bengals, just because a year ago, Joe Burrow was out for the year, you know, with the ACL. And then when they got Jamar Chase, everyone was like, oh, they need offensive linemen. We got to draft Penny Sewell. We're going to take Jamar Chase. Um, the big question mark wasn't about their offense. You knew what they were going to get on their offense was their defense. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they spent big money to get Trey Hendrickson, their DN there. But a lot of guys that on that defense were kind of lower tier free agents than when you not a lot of big names like, and so for their defense, their defense was kind of surprising towards the playoffs there and and really yeah the Bengals were more of a surprise the surprise team for me coming out of the AFC. Uh, the Rams like they they spent money to be here they wanted right. to be here the, and the Bengals just riding a wave of momentum and like and belief in their quarterback like they I, that team just believes no matter what happens Joe's going to give them a chance to win and everybody's playing like that. I, it'll be, you know, it's going to be a great game. It'll be interesting to see if they can keep the magic going. In terms of the coaching staffs, right? Uh, obviously, the Rams have been there before a couple years ago, Sean McVay. Who do you think has the advantage on the coaching staffs going into this game? Well, these are two great offensive innovators of the game, but both these guys, their game management is scary. I think, like, I think during the game, it's going to be who screws up less making coaching decisions. Yeah. I I all imagine the prep for the game will be top notch, but it's more of who doesn't make the mis the coaching mistakes in the Super Bowl. I, I don't know if there is a coaching advantage to this, or maybe when you think about it, like McVay's former offensive coordinator was Zach Taylor, uh, the head coach yeah. of the Bengals. It comes from that tree. Like, I wouldn't say I'm not liking it to John Gruden versus, you know, Bill Callahan reading every play for that Super Bowl. But I think, I think you know, Zach Taylor understands, you know, what what Sean McVay wants to do and, and, and vice versa. So that's going to be kind of a matchup to see, you know, which one kind of 
doesn't or does outthink each other, right? And just outsmarts each other. And maybe, as Jay said, like makes a big mistake because, you know, they're guessing, right? And it really just comes down for both teams on defense. And, and really, Lou Admonson and uh, Raheem Morris, you know, the two defensive coordinators, how they're going to respond to what they see every day in practice. The Bengals and their three receivers, the Rams and their three receivers. Rams not having Higby might be a little bit of an issue at tight end, but. Right. Very similar offenses running the West Coast three wide receiver sets. So that'll be interesting. Great points there, guys. I, li- I like the insight on the offensive systems. And, and Zach Taylor working for Sean McVay, I think, is you know kind of a dynamic thing as well. For whatever reason, I don't know why this has just kind of popped in my head, but I kind of feel like the Bengals have just this opportunity at, at youth on their side a little bit. And it kind of reminds me of back in the day, when the Cowboys were first playing the Bills in the Super Bowl because the Bills were loaded with veterans, right? And the Cowboys, they they were really young. And I don't think going into that first Super Bowl when they when they beat the Bills, people didn't believe in them at that point, right? And and then all of a sudden they just came on the scene and just kicked the crap out of them. And it was really that youth movement. And for whatever reason, it just kind of feels like Cincinnati's sort of similar. So I'm interested how this unfolds tomorrow. But one of the main things that I think is a huge matchup is the Bengals' offensive line versus the Rams' D-line. Can the Rams' O-line protect Joe Burrow enough that he can still make his reads and get the ball down the field and not get hammered on? Like, if, if Aaron Donald is bearing down on him all game long, how's that going to work out? It's going to be a factor. I think the Rams' D-line is going to probably live in the backfield. Joe's going to be under duress, but you've just seen him time and time again it doesn't affect him right now he always finds a way to make it happen he doesn't seem to fold under the pressure like almost every other quarterback in the nfl right now he seems to evade and make give himself some time to make some throws and he is just so smart with knowing where the ball needs to go it's going to be a great matchup i'm excited to see it eric what do you have to add to that and maybe also like what can they do systematically to, you know, combat that heavy pressure and from the D-line? Well, there's a couple things, right? You could talk about the screen game, right? So they're, they're always going to be in that, like, wide receiver screens are going to be big. Like, Jamar Chase could have a big game in their screen game. Joe Mixon taking off pressure. It's funny you mentioned, like, Joe Burrow, and we talk about, like, Going back into draft season, we love the guy that scrambles around, throws the ball 70 yards just because he's rolling out, right? Yeah. But what about the guy that just makes the right read, throws the ball on time, makes the right read? And I think Joe can do that. And I think that will become a big thing. If he can get the ball out quickly and he doesn't have to get that pass rush in his face, like face it. You're you're going against Aaron Donald in the middle, Von Miller on the edge, Leonard Floyd on the other edge, like what are you going to do? If they put Floyd and, and Donald together on the one side, who are you doubling, right? You would probably double Donald inside yep. and make the one on Von Miller. And we saw Von Miller dominate the Super Bowl for the Broncos that year in Peyton Manning's last run there. So it's really going to come down to to that the Bengals tackles like Jonah Williams, Isaiah Prince on the outside who are above average tackles, but it's going to come down to the guard play. And no quarterback wants pressure in their face. Mm-hmm. So right up in the middle to prevent stepping up. So it'll really come down to what Zach Taylor does to combat the pressure, whether that's getting the ball out quick or going to the screen game a little bit more or trying to establish the run more with Joe Mixon to, to, to get these pass rushers not thinking pass all the time. The other thing too is like you, you talked about Jamar Chase. Obviously he's a super dynamic weapon. His connection with Joe Burrow from college now to the pros is huge. Defensively, do you think that the Rams are going to match up Ramsey? Like, is he going to man him up across the board? Does, is that what they do defensively? And, and if so, who wins that battle? I don't see Ramsey following him everywhere on the field. The Rams play a high percentage of zone in their secondary. He has traveled against some guys into the slot, but he, he doesn't really flip sides a lot. I'm excited to see that matchup, but... You know, remembering uh, Jamar Chase in the college national championship, I just remember seeing he was the best player on the field mm-hmm. when it came pressure time for pressure. So I really think Jamar Chase is going to have a big game tomorrow. I think he's going to have a big game. I don't think they're going to shadow as much. As Jay had mentioned, they're going to probably play a little bit of zone behind it. 
Jamar Chase might have a, a big game. But again, like, if you look at it, like, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd aren't too shabby, you know, mm-hmm. number ones or number twos on any other team. So it's going to find a way to, to to use those guys to get Jamar Chase open or vice versa, you know, focus on Jamar and get those two guys the ball. So it, it would be nice to see a matchup with, with Jalen Ramsey and and uh, Jamar Chase. But, you know, as Jay mentioned, that 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 playoff game for Jamar Chase in the, in the college football playoffs, like he burned AJ Terrell and AJ Terrell is actually pretty damn good corner in the NFL now. So mm-hmm. we'll see, it's going to be interesting matchup, but I, I do expect a lot of zone and, and maybe expect other guys to step up and maybe use Jamar as a bit of a decoy. I love the insight into the defensive coverage and, you know, the different matchups that we may see. Obviously, being a, a QB podcast, right, I, it'd be stupid not to talk about the matchup between, you know, Matt Stafford and Joe Burrows, right? Like, we, we've talked really highly about Joe Burrow. What do you think, in terms of that matchup, who's going to shine the brightest? Is Matt Stafford ready to, to win a Super Bowl? I think we've seen Matt Stafford play his best ball over the last two games, right? And, you know, he hadn't had very much playoff experience. Um, but again, we talk about like building a team around him, you know, as opposed to him being in Detroit and you have to do everything, right? Besides mm-hmm. him and Kelvin, right? So I think Stafford, the veteran experience, has a chance to do it. But again, these both guys are playing in their first Super Bowl. Um, Joe brings the excitement. Joe, you know, Joe brings that that moxie too. So it's going to be a tough matchup between the two. I, I, I think as long as Stafford doesn't make the Detroit Stafford come out of this game, then I think they have a good chance of winning. Right. Um, mm-hmm. um, it's just, yeah, it's going to be a really exciting matchup. I just, you know, I can't really either way, either one, I'd be excited for, for them to win. So, yeah, I feel the same way. Jay, what do you have to add to that? And and also, do you think that Stafford probably has more the pressure on him to get it done more so than Joe Burrow being the young guy? Oh, 100% agree with that. Um, like Joe, Joe's the Joe's the cool, confident guy surrounded by no Super Bowl experience, and Stafford's the old guy who hasn't been there, who's surrounded by Super Bowl experience. Mm-hmm. This game is really going to come down to how nervous Stafford plays. If he can just play loose and free and make good decisions, I see it going well for the Rams. But he's also a guy who has not played in a lot of big games in the NFL, and. We've seen him be shaky when sometimes when the lights come on. So I, I wish both quarterbacks the best, but it's gonna like I say, it's gonna be a great game. It's gonna be a great game, and I know that the the Rams have won a Super Bowl as the St. Louis Rams, but really, like these two franchises, neither of them has have won in those cities. So I think that's kind of cool for the NFL that we're gonna get a new champ. The the QB matchup again. I'm with you on both. I really like Joe Burrow. I like Matt Stafford. He's a tremendous talent. I just don't know if I feel like the pressure is really going to be on him tomorrow. And we're going to see what happens. Right? He's either going to live up to his name or he's going to crumble. And you know, then there'll be a lot of more talk the next day about how he can't get her done. Right? In terms of the game, it also pains me to kind of say this, but you know, being a Steelers fan, but I'm cheering for the Bengals. Like. I don't know what it is about them, but I, I just, I like the Bengals. What do you guys think about the game? Who, If you just had to say who, who you think is going to win this game, what do you think the score is going to be? I'm going to go with the Bengals. I just think the momentum they're riding right now, Joe's been playing hot. Their offense is playing on. Their defense is playing unbelievable. Final score, I think it's going to be like 28-24 Cincinnati. Both these teams blitz at an insanely low rate in the NFL. So I see this game coming down to, who can rush the passer and protect the passer with four better. Mm-hmm. And that's got to be the Rams for me. So I'm going to say the Rams 30 to 24. You know, this is right up my alley, but the halftime show, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, that uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pumped for that. That's going to be a highlight. Uh, I was laughing with our last guest, Ryan Soroka, about like the difference between the Grey Cup halftime shows and the Super Bowl halftime shows. So, <laughs> you know, I'm excited for that. But, uh, you know, Jay, I know uh, back in the day you were a Nelly and Jay-Z fan. Those were the only two rappers you would have on your playlist. But uh, are you guys excited for the halftime show? Love to hear the takeover at halftime. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. I was a big Eminem fan growing up. I can't wait for this. You know, the whole halftime show is going to be an exciting one kendrick you have snoop dr dre mary j you know eminem so it's going to be a great like a great halftime show for whatever like was it 15 minutes or whatever it is yeah i'm definitely going to tune in to watch this one sometimes this is where i go get my snacks but i I think i think i'll be sitting and watching this one for sure what's your plans for the super bowl tomorrow jay what are you doing for the game we're going to 
I cooked some good food. We got some chicken wings, some jalapeno poppers, some macaroni cups. I'm having a few friends over and sit back and enjoy the game. I'll be coming home from work, so I'm going to be having to, to either get that game streamed just on the radio going on as I'm just panicking trying to get home in time to watch the most of the game. But hopefully, you know, while at work, kind of getting a little bit of the game on my phone. We'll see what happens, but uh, family's kind of got some stuff setting up, so some food. So we'll see. Nice. If I can make it home and make it home in time. Yeah, I'm doing the same. I'm going over to Pop's house. We're doing our typical uh, Grey Cup Super Bowl where we sit there together and mom makes her, her famous chili and we eat lots of junk food and have a good time. So I'm looking forward to that. It's always a good time spending that with my dad. I just think it's going to be a great game. Great matchup, great halftime show. I'm really excited. Back at it for fourth quarter action with the dynamic duo of Eric Ewan and Jason Huckluck. So, gents, uh, I've had kind of a mentor to me, Jay Prepchuk, quarterback coach at Simon Fraser University. He's been on the podcast a couple times, and I've played a little quarterback number game, jersey number game with him, where we started at jersey number one, and we went to jersey number 19 on one episode, and then we actually went the reverse order on the next episode. So I had a little idea that we could play. Uh, you guys are, are both, you know, Eric, you were a running back. Jay, you were a running back and a receiver, but I'm thinking more receiver based. So how about we play a little game here where we start at Jersey number 80. Jay, I'll get you to start and just tell me who comes to your mind of that guy in, in that Jersey number and why you picked that guy. You guys good with that? All right. Okay. Game on. Let's start. Here we go. Jay, number 80. Who's your guy? The greatest, Jerry Rice. He's always been my favorite. He played for my team. I'm, nothing else needs to be said about that one. All right. I love it. Eric, 81. Uh, Megatron, Calvin Johnson. Ooh. That guy, size, speed. Too bad he played in Detroit, but like he put up some big numbers, Hall of Famer. Like I, I dreaded watching him playing against the Vikings because we had no corner that could match up against them. No, nobody did. Yeah. All right, all right, Jay, number 82, who you got? Throwback to my team again, it would be John Taylor. Remember him being the top wide receiver on uh, Tecmo Super Bowl in the rollout play action, throwing the go to him all day long. There we go, there we go, love it. Okay, Eric, 83. Well, we talk about the Buffalo Bills a lot, part of their K-Gun offense, the Hall of Famer Andre Reid, uh, integral part of that Jim Kelly offense, just a, a guy from Kutztown State. Yeah. Another Hall of Fame guy. Yeah, love it. Andre Reed's great receiver. Okay. I think I know who you're going with on this one, Jay Ski, but who who you got for 84? I know we're all thinking it, but I'll throw that one to Eric. That would be for uh, Mr. Randy Moss playing for the Vikings. Anybody our age, 84, you're thinking of that purple jersey. Absolutely. So dynamic. That that game against Dallas' rookie season on Monday Night Football, oh, jeez. I went and I got the new NFL magazine, whatever it was. I had posters in my locker at school. He was my guy. Randy Moss was sick. All right, so we've gone to 84. Eric, we're at 85. Who you got there? I got uh, Chad Johnson. Ocho Cinco. Cinco. Just a dynamic player with the Bengals there. Um, Just a guy that, you know, personality wise was awesome but when he when he had you he had that first step quickness off the line yeah. of scrimmage and he just made people look silly just the footwork was just unbelievable by him absolutely that that was what i was thinking the whole way was his feet that guy yeah. could move okay jay we're at 86 who you got for that well, i'm gonna go cfl an all-time great uh ben cahoon probably one of the best canadian receivers to play the game and some of the best hands that were ever in the CFL. Absolutely. Also played with your brother on the Alouettes, so you, you kind of knew him a little bit. So that's that's a great choice. I love Ben Coon. He was sick. Nice guy. All right, Eric, here we are, 87. Who you got? I'm a recency guy, but it's big Gronk for me. Gronk, you know, revolutionized the tight end spot there. Just a big, massive human being. Just size, speed, weight kind of thing. Just carried himself. Big open target. Can't believe you're admitting Ed McCaffrey. <laughs> Easy <laughs> E, that's your replica, Jay. <laughs> okay, okay. So we got 87. All right, so we're on to 88. Jay, who you got for 88? I hate to say it, but I'm going to do it. Who doesn't think of Michael Irvin and my the hated Cowboys? Oh, I hate the Cowboys. I'm getting angry already thinking about it. <laughs> Too funny. Yeah, Michael Irvin was very good. Last one here, Eric, to end it off here. Who you got for 89? 
uh, his famous words, ice up, son. I'm going Steve Smith. Yeah. Um, yeah, Carolina Panthers, Baltimore Raven receiver. His size, he was quick speed, but he was feisty. He would get in your grill. Yeah. Big, like, he played physical for his size, yeah. but he was always open. Like, you remember the the Jake DeLone, you know, slant to him against the Rams. They're beating the Rams in overtime. Just, a, you know, I loved his personality. Just the ultimate trash talker. Love him on NFL Network on Thursday nights there. Yeah. Him and him and Irvin jawing each other. So, yeah, Steve Smith for me at 89. Yeah, I, I love Steve Smith too. I love the feistiness. That guy would just pump people in the blocking game like that. He he was like he was like a fullback yeah. out there blocking people. Right, that's a huge yeah. advantage on offense when your receiver's willing to go stick his nose in there. Okay, we've gone through the '80s, but if there was one guy that you had to pick that maybe didn't wear the number in the '80s, right? We got a lot of receivers now that wear numbers in the teens, but also in the CFL, we've been seeing that for years. Eric, who would you pick? a jersey number not in the 80s for an elite level receiver that you respect he's playing on sunday it's cooper cup number 10 yeah. uh just you know burst on the scene the last you know since he's been drafted but a guy that won player of the year offensive player of the year on thursday night there so yeah he's he's been a you know a tremendous elite receiver over the last couple seasons and, and shattering records great choice jay who, who do you got well, I guess a bit of a throwback in the CFL, but number 18, Alan Pitts. I mm. remember him. I remember those Calgary-Edmonton Western finals that we all watched growing up and how good, how big and good, quick he was, great hands, great routes, and Doug Flutie throwing him the ball. Like I say, made me love receivers. Alan Pitts was a sick receiver. I agree. He, him and Doug Flutie together, they were dynamic weapons. And, uh, yeah, I, I love it, guys. It was That was a fun game. Uh, lots of good picks there. Guys, unfortunately, we're at the end here. It's been a heck of a day. It's been really fun to talk to you guys. I enjoy doing this. I want to thank you guys for being on. I want to thank the audience for being on. I hope you guys enjoyed yourselves. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, thank you. No doubt we've had a ton of fun here. Yeah, awesome. Well, we'll have to do it again. Maybe season three, you'll be back on again. Okay, guys. Well, thanks again for being on. Have a great rest of your day. Enjoy the Super Bowl tomorrow. And uh, I'm sure we'll all be chatting soon. Take care.